becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger in a crowded room. It's a dream that you this goes into the things I was talking about with like you. Are we gonna cheers or just go right into? Just this? go right into it. <laughs> Let's just yeah. Okay, yeah, cheers, cheers to the shores. <laughs> to the shores. Um, <laughs> the liquor store had full stock bottles of mm-hmm. bullet rye, so thank you. Yeah, the soldiers were on the front line. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that was such such a dad moment of you reusing that joke and it pleased you. It did. <laughs> the soldiers are on the front line. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we walk into the liquor store and we're like, oh no, but and they're, the bottles are like way in the back because they've already been taken. So today we walked in, the, the soldiers are on the front line waiting for us. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael exclaimed that out loud. <laughs> I did. Uh, um. <laughs> yeah. Now I totally lost what we were saying before we kicked this off. Oh shoot. Well, I know we wanted to get into the responsibility oh, framework. Yeah, so. well this idea that um you know, you you get to do the things that you want to do. And so I don't even know how cohesive this is going to be. I just run into I'm it. Just running you into guys it. can catch up. <laughs> yeah. Um catch up with us. I mean keeping up with our Instagram is something I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's not something I want to hire someone to do Yeah, and I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to like run into these difficult questions. You have to ask yourself like, why is that? Why am I not doing something I want to do? What the fuck's up with that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, why is that Matt? Well, <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's hard. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not making time for it, which is stupid. Cause why would you not make time for something you want to do? And, the answer to that is because that's hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe it means I need to change my schedule or stop doing else, something else that I don't like doing quite as much. Or, you know, you, you have to make these priorities in these, mm-hmm. these hierarchies. And maybe part of it is that there's some shame in it. Like for me, some shame in just around posting and sharing in general, which is actually where I wanted to start this conversation. Um, um, like to put something out there in front of people. Mm-hmm. It's weird. This podcast, like Wednesday nights protected from that, like shame curtain. Yeah. I don't know why we just sort of do it. And Uh then, uh, hopefully I publish it really quickly. And if I don't, then I'll probably spend five days spinning over like what to call it. And what do I say about it? And was our conversation dumb? It wasn't, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, I've got to listen to it. And so, well, let's, let's officially kick into some, into whatever all that was touching on. I, yeah. I wanted to start this conversation with talking about sharing in general. So I've had this, I had this, um, what would it be? I don't epiphany? know. Epiphany, Eureka moment, uh-huh. revelation. <laughs> well, I was just hit with this, this question. Like, what is the, what is it? Our desire to share. What is up with that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, there's, uh, there's, um, and I don't mean you and I, I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. us as humanity. Yeah. I mean, just even historically, like there's a certain amount of you build families and societies around sharing, whether it be like workload or some sort of common 
cultural values, you know, there's that you start to define amongst yourselves. So it's like, there's this, there's almost a desire that we have as humans to be communal. And a lot of that is part of being communal is sharing, you know, um, uh, laws or cultural aspects or, you know, our money system, uh, uh, we just kind of create all these ways that we kind of facilitate that communal sort of sharing together. It seems like almost everything uh, revolves around that, if that makes sense. Hmm. Like, I mean, even like you share your life with somebody, you know, it's like you have, you have babies and you share this certain, um, goals that you know <laughs> for your kids not to die <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know right. well we need to feed them and so there's a certain amount that uh, a workload is divided among uh whether it be family members or uh, or husband and wife or you know friends or however it is that in order to make those sort of goals of you know eating and um safety and mm-hmm. Who's going to who's going to be in charge of what and how and how much and kind of dividing up the labor of things? Well, you started in there talking about community and values. Mm-hmm. It seems like values are values are our our structure, or at least the way that we structure the world, the way that reality seems to come into being for us is is via values. Mm-hmm. Like, it's better to live than die Yeah, would be a value. And so, okay, that's going to define, like, a lot of our actions. Um, it's, it's better to, well, than better to live well and eat well than live poorly. Mm-hmm. And you start to sort of, like, flesh out what those things mean. It's better to be with someone than not. And maybe you don't exactly know why that is but you live your life as if that's the case yeah and i think you're right through that well sharing seems to be the embodiment of acting out those values in the world yeah even when we're talking about sharing it's like it's it it, my brain kind of goes into multiple directions here is you know you know, we say we have shared values, you know, there's something that is to be articulated and sort of formulated into, um, some sort of infrastructure of which you are then measured against too. But there's also like sharing something that's personal or, or sharing with somebody, uh, it's more about like who you are and what you are becoming. And when you share some with somebody about your dreams and aspiration of what you're going to become, that's also is something you're also measured against. So it's like whether someone holds you to that or not, that's one thing, but you're, you're sharing with somebody a goal or an aspiration or value you have for yourself into the future. Mm-hmm. And so now it's once you've shared it with somebody, there's an accountability that's outside of yourself that, someone else knows that about you. Like I want to be in the NBA and, uh, once that's shared yeah. and you don't achieve that, 
you're talking about sharing hopes and aspirations. Hopes and aspirations. Yeah, and once they're articulated and shared, mm-hmm. you, you've uh, who put? I think Peterson puts it this way. It's like you've uh, you've articulated the conditions for your own failure. Mm. That's really, and that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, maybe we can enter it via the way that I entered it. Um, I know I've talked about this, but I've been doing a lot of journaling lately as a, a way to, I've always liked journaling, but I've been doing it really um, in, in a very disciplined way over the last couple of months as I've trans- transitioned into a new job. And as I've been doing that, I keep running across things that I, you know, and the way that I do it is I sit down twice a day with the goal of just write down a few things that happened or a few things that are on your mind. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because sometimes it's like super boring, you know, like cooked salmon for dinner. It's like, who cares? (laughs) Uh Um, You know, but more often than not, something comes out through that process that means something to me. Mm -hmm. And I read it and I think, I want to share that. Mm -hmm. And that's where this thought first came to me. Like, what is this idea that I want to share something, something of meaning? And... And then I thought, well, man, isn't our like whole life built around this? I mean, we basically live our lives on social media, which is all about sharing. It's basically a public diary, a public journal. Mm-hmm. We all want an intimate relationship in which we can share. Um, we want to tell people about the things that happen in our lives. It's actually, I think not only something we want to do, it seems somewhat necessary. Like if you don't do that, some you, it's like, you're not quite human. Mm. You lose some of your humanity, Yeah, which is why solitary confinement is so like, it's like the worst thing. Mm-hmm. We were removing your ability to share with someone, to relate with someone. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting question. What is this desire to share? And why is it so, why does it permeate our experience? Yeah. And I think the thing that the, the answer that came to me in that is something like you were talking about when you express hopes and aspirations, it's like, it could be through journaling. It could be through art. It could be through success or reaching a goal, but it's like you run up, against something in yourself that feels transcendent in some way. Hmm. Like it feels it's like you touch something of the divine within yourself and you think, I want to share this. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel right for me to not tell someone about this. It's almost the positive aspects of the things of Instagram and Facebook. Um, and again, the, even the dopamine hit that such a can people have such a negative viewpoint on and and sharing and likes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But there's also a positive aspect of that too, is being able to share things with people and get some sort of feedback. And it's like, no, we need that. We need feedback. We need the thumbs up. We need the hearts. You know, maybe we've taken it too far in some instances, or we depend on, um, this more distance and, and not as, um, close of relationships, you know, and uh, personal relationships that these sort of like distance, distant relationships are more valuable than the relationships that are around us. Um, 
so there, there there's definitely some negative aspects in that i think in that realm but but i think it does definitely show us that we do need sort of that feedback you know yeah. like yeah that post was good <laughs> or like i disagree with that or even this the negative stuff is like well you start to see people disagree with you or don't have the same, same viewpoints that you have, you know? And so you encounter something that there's resistance to, which is also helpful. Yeah. And I think in intrinsically in the act of sharing, there's a question that's posed, mm-hmm. you know, if it is, you know, m- maybe this particular kind of sharing, maybe there are other kinds, I don't know, but you know, my proposition that, when you touch up against something that feels divine or something that feels transcendent, so it could be a piece of art or it could be a piece of poetry or just a picture you took or good news about your life that seems to indicate that you might be more than you thought you could be or are at the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't know. You don't know what something is until you, for lack of a better word, bounce it off someone else. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know exactly why you're responding to this thing you want to share in this in this way, this sort of like excited, joyful way. Like I want to tell people this mm-hmm. this celebratory way, almost. You don't know exactly why that is, and so the way that you figure out wh- what that is, why that is, and if it's worth what you think it's worth is to put it in front of somebody. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you see the same thing or something similar enough to justify the way that I'm feeling? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> and maybe before social media, that was done in a, a less, see if this makes sense, a less volume way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the volume was less, but perhaps <laughs> the, perhaps the feedback and the interaction was deeper. Mm-hmm. And, Maybe more intentional because if when you didn't have like the easy sharing capability to, mm-hmm. I mean, most people probably have fifty to a hundred followers, mm-hmm. and and even in that, those fifty or hundred followers might feel like the whole world to people, mm-hmm. and it's and you almost feel like as if every human being on the world is is looking at this, even if you only have like fifty followers or something like that. Yeah. So there is that sort of. Um, that feeling of, um, well, I mean, again, it's like, it, but it's also easier. And so like, if, if you don't have this sort of format that is global in some respect, you had to be more intentional and it took more work to share something, you know, again, art for that example, you know, you would have to, um, well, first of all, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the uh, barrier to entry was so much higher before, you know, uh, the internet age and in that, right. you know, now you can just order something on Amazon and paint it in your room or something like that, where before you had to go somewhere to get the paints, you know, and even before then is, you know, 1500, you had to learn how to mix the paint and find the pigments and all the stuff that you had to, <laughs> to express something. The, the colors in your, the colors in your painting were dependent upon a completely different skill set and mm-hmm. the geography in which you live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's crazy. So it's like all the barriers of sharing have, they're so low in our modern age in how we express ourselves, whether it be through Instagram or some sort of art, digital art, 
um, even performance art you can do and put it on YouTube or, you know, Instagram stories or something like that. The, the barrier of sharing something with people is so much smaller now. Yeah. But maybe the intimacy is lost well, in some regards. Yes, definitely. Even the way that we talk about it, I think your point about the dopamine hit and that being considered a negative is a really important one. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the way that people are behaving on social media, like let's take Facebook, for example, because it, just to move it momentarily away from f- the focus on art, you know, what do people do on Facebook? It's like they share their lives in mm-hmm. these long posts. They'll write paragraphs about yeah. what happened with their kids and their parents and social interactions and it's like i don't think they're doing that for the likes they're not doing it for the dopamine hit of that count that's certainly a real thing Mm -hmm. you know and i often like bemoan the fact that if i post something and it gets less than the expected number of likes or views it's like oh i'm gonna feel shitty Mm -hmm. and i hate that but that's also real and people are sharing what they're sharing for a reason other than that like button. They're doing it because they need to do it. And because it matters to them to do it. Mm-hmm. Like there is something really important about it. Yeah. Yeah. We do have, we do have that sort of need, that social need in ourselves to, to form communities and to be able to share and to um, have those responses. I <laughs> just kind of thinking of like, uh, even for like Medici on Yelp and stuff like that, you know, sometimes when we get negative reviews or something like that, well, I'll sometimes go and look at that person that gave the negative review and, and I'll look at their post and it's like, Oh, all of the reviews of every single thing they do is negative. <laughs> it's like, they're trying to sound smart and it just sort of sounds, you know, it's sort oh, of like, I see, oh. like that reviewer yeah, is reviewer. negative. Yeah. 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 And so, so you look at that as like, it's like, they're, you, they're just a contrarian. Yeah. And they think it's it's smart to be able to point out all the negative aspects. My mm-hmm. favorite one is always like the coffee was great, the parking was shitty, one just one star. And I'm like, come on, like you live in Austin, Texas, the parking is not great anywhere yeah, unless right. you're going to Walmart and they have five thousand spaces. And I still complain about the and parking. Still complain at about the parking. Yeah, but don't tell me I have great yeah. coffee and then give me one star because my parking is. <laughs> come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. But then you go look at the other ones and there's like the same sort of like, you know, right. Well, which brings to light another side of this coin, which is that, you know, yes, the dopamine hit of these likes are real, but yes, there is a also something really much deeper and important going on at the same time. There's another side of that, which is the way that we respond and interact with people. Mm. You know, this was a long time ago and I still remember it. I had posted, uh, I posted something I think on Instagram and a friend of mine commented, I like this. <laughs> and I thought it was the cutest thing. And it meant so much to me. So it's like, it's the same thing as hitting the like button, mm-hmm. right? It's the same message. Yeah. But you delivered it to me personally. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote out, I like You wrote it, it out. <laughs> you pulled up the keyboard and typed the letters. And that means something to me. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, how often is it? That it's like we spend all this time mindlessly scrolling. At least that's what we say we're doing mm-hmm. because we're responding to the addiction in us. We're responding to the distraction in us, but you're not mindlessly scrolling. Like your mind is always on. Mm-hmm. And as you're scrolling, your mind is responding to things. 
You're just not, you're not giving that primacy. And how many times do you think something about one of something you see of your friend and you think it and you just keep scrolling, mm-hmm. you know, and what would it be like if you were to actually stop as if you had seen them in a coffee shop or uh, a gallery showing, you know, we have this thing called East uh, studio tour in Austin mm. where all the artists of all kinds of different, you know, forms display their work. And what would it be like if you stop, you're going to, you're, well, you're going to think and formulate something and hopefully it's genuine and share that because you'd be an asshole mm-hmm. if you just sort of walked on by. Right. But we do this constantly on, on social media. And I think there's a, a really, it's so easy to do because there's so much content, but wouldn't it be a life better lived, better shared, better related to if you were to slow down and think, well, what if I told this person what I thought? Would that mean something to them? I think you'd have to also start limiting your exposure too. Well, it would limit your exposure mm-hmm. necessarily because you'd be spending more time interacting with, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah. It'd be fewer stuff. Well, it, it made me think about it, the different ways that, you know, you're interacting with things. So one is the like button or the heart, you know, so you're scrolling through, you can heart things, you know, pop, 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 you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then there's a different thing where if every single thing that you had, it made you experience something and you wrote out what you experienced by looking at that image, well, that would be a, it would be a smaller percentage of the things than what you could just go through and heart or like, you know, but then if you were to take the time to go somewhere to see something that was more limiting where there are six pictures on the wall rather than 500 on Instagram mm-hmm. to take that in and then to talk to the artist about that. We're talking about three hours, you know, an hour to get there and back or whatever it might be an hour to kind of take it all in another hour to, you know, formulate a thought that you could express to the artist that themselves. So it's just different types of engagements and, it seems like there is there is a there's a there's more intimacy that comes with the greater the cost it is to you to engage in that sharing. Mm. It, the value, I think, the intimacy is the, higher. The intimacy is higher. The value is higher, which, just inherently. I well, know. which brings up another, you know, I think a reason why a lot of us don't say the things that we would say mm. on social media mm. because there because it is intimate. There's an intimacy to it. You know, if I respond to your D to your story on Instagram, you know, I swipe up and I write a message. It's like, now I'm in your DMS. Like Mm -hmm. there's an intimacy to that. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, Oh, I do. I pause, you know, sometimes I'll see something, I'll think something and I go, I'm going to tell them this. Mm -hmm. And I I'll swipe up and write it out. And I'll think, is that creepy? (laughs) You know? Uh And I think it's not creepy. It's genuine. Mm hmm. But it certainly could be perceived that way. Yeah. And a lot of us, I think, respond to it that way. You know, you get a DM about something because you'll get a, you, you could potentially get a direct message from anyone. It could be a stranger. It could be a person you haven't talked to in 20 years. It, it's like, how is You don't know how to respond to a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think most people, if they get sort of an unexpected DM from someone, you'll just sort of read it and, you know, whatever you heart it or you ignore it or whatever. And it's, it, it's, what's happening is something that's intimate and then it's rejected. Mm -hmm. 
and the fear of intimacy and rejection, I think keeps us from saying what we think, what, what we think, mm-hmm. you know, and in some way you don't have a lot of control over what you think. It just sort of bubbles up in you. And now we're in the territory perhaps of wisdom. Like what should you share mm-hmm. that, that, that is revealed to you by your own mind? Well, I think in this area, it's, it's maybe even, let's maybe step away from the social media aspect of it mm-hmm. and thinking about, you know, just how do you, how do you make friends and become a part of communities in a way that you share your life? You know, so a lot of times that comes through work or school, um, through communities or church or some sort of shared activities that you have. And a lot of times, especially as you get older, it's not even necessarily about the activity. It's more about the community aspect. Like a friend of mine does baseball on Wednesday nights. And it's like a lot of it is about they love they share the commonality of liking baseball, but they're not all there to play baseball. It's more of like this is an opportunity for us to hang out and have fun and we're right. playing baseball <clears> doing <throat> it, you know. So so it's a it's a shared activity. It would be more detrimental to the activity to swap out the people than it would be to swap out the game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. To a lot of people there. Some people, to some people that wouldn't be true. <laughs> exactly. It's about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not here to have fun. <laughs> We're here to win. Uh-huh. But, but there are, it's interesting. Cause like he was explaining to me, there are teams that are like that. It is more about baseball than it is about the interaction. But most people at this age of thirties and forties, they love baseball, but they want a community that they can participate in that with, you know? So, um, so definitely the, it, it might be an, an age thing in this too, as far as, you know, you know, I don't know, even with my son with soccer, it's like, you know, he likes soccer, but he actually enjoys the engagement with the team and, and mm-hmm. being a part of something. Yeah. And, um, it's just interesting how we have created activities around which build community and, and sharing experience as well as all the things that would come into that space that, that that provides to to open us up to like hey how was your weekend you know i mean that's one of the every monday probably most mondays i ask the people i work with is like hey how was your weekend you know right well we wouldn't have that opportunity if we didn't work together and it's like is it really important what happened in the weekend yes but at the same time it's there's something that you're wanting to kind of make that connection from week to week. And like this person was away from you for a certain amount of time. What happened? Why are you away? Like what mm-hmm. did anything transpire? That was like, yeah. Oh, just a normal weekend. And then you ask another question. It's like, Oh no, it wasn't a normal weekend. You know, it's no such thing as a <laughs> normal no such weekend. Thing. Yeah. And I think it's just something that's that we all need that, that connection. And I think, and that's one thing I think is going to be hard for people who work from home all the time. It's hard to have that, that sort of connection where you come into an office and, you know, you have to have the interaction where it's like, you know, if you're working from home, there's a little bit more of a barrier to having those interactions, especially with people you don't necessarily want to interact with. You know, you have, you have more, uh, ability to sort of, um, I don't know, shape your environment around more of the things that you and the people that you want to interact with, you know, which is not always a good thing. I think that's something that mm. 
with community, it's like, it's kind of nice. I think it's one of the greatest things about family is like, is like, <laughs> you know, it's like you don't get to pick your family, you know? So right. it's like, <laughs> so like everyone complains about this. So, you know, like whenever they go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and like, you know, people have different political views or view guns in a certain way and another way or abortion or, or whatever it might be. And it's sort of like, oh, I can't, I can't be around them. It's like, no, it's like you need to be able to share life with people that you don't agree with, you know, and, and to be able to, to, to talk about stuff. And, and I think that's one thing that is good about family is like, it kind of almost enforces you to do that. But then there's also this whole idea of like, even the discouragement of how important that is, you know, family and that sort of being around people that you disagree with in some general respect, it's sort of like there's almost a, a message out there that you should only hang out or be around people that think like you, that hold the same values that you hold mm-hmm. in the same way that you hold them. And if they don't hold those values, then you need to remove yourself from that situation and that place because they're not healthy or, or they're toxic or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. know, it's like, there's almost some like really strong verbiage that goes around that sort of like being able to share space with people that are different from you. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that we, because that seems like a phenomenon of the last two years, at least in the public conversation. Yeah. That was a big response to well, both COVID and the, are we calling them race riots? Like all of the riots in 2020. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then the Trump versus Biden thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and lots of public calls to not go see your family, whether that's because of COVID or because of views on politics or whatever mm-hmm. became very okay for people to publicly, you know, tell others that they shouldn't go see their family. It's a wild, a wild phenomenon. Yeah. Almost like a, you should shun them or disavow them because they think differently than you. Like your parents are Trump supporters. I mean, we live in Austin. So that's, that's mostly what I heard. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, like, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you don't, you know, to, to not be around them because it's toxic or, or whatever it might be. It's sort of like, yeah, well then simultaneously you have, you have the extremism of descriptors like, toxic, violent, Hmm. applied to things which are maybe uncomfortable, but certainly not, you know, like leave some room in definitions for more extreme things. (laughs) But then that and simultaneously calls for diversity and equity and inclusion, Hmm. which I think betrays that whole institution, actually. Yeah. Those things aren't actually about the words that are in the title. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, maybe kind of circling back to the well, it's like as a as a community, as a as a culture, we need to have certain definitions and to be able to define things that are both broad and specific. And it seems like we're 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 to kind of disagreeing on even def simple definitions that we had five, five years ago that are somewhat harder for people to make those 
connections with, you know, I think we saw that with critical race theory is like, you know, whenever you start, you start seeing like, uh, you know, someone who's against, you know, critical race theory being taught in schools or something like that. The, one of the main arguments is, is like, Hey, you don't want to talk about the, the difficult things that the U S has been through over the years. And it's, it's interesting that, that, that sort of shift in definition because we were like, Oh no, no, we need to talk about the racism that happened and the uh, human rights that were violated. You know, it's like that happened over the, over the years, you know, but, but that's not, that's not the same as what critical race theory is, is, is talking about or teaching. And so like, there's a sort of blurred definitions that, that keep people from being able to actually share because there's that sort of Moton Bailey kind of thing where, yeah, I was going to say, I think the definitions are kept blurry on purpose so mm-hmm. that they can be weaponized mm-hmm. against those who you wish to not interact with. Yeah. It's like, whether it be like, you know, <laughs> white supremacies, Nazism, those terms have been thrown around in such broad strokes that we almost don't know what we're talking about as a culture. You know, it's like, even like, like what is female sports? You know, why did we have female sports? What was even feminism in the sixties and seventies? Like, why was that so important that women have their own space to compete? You just trying to hit all the hot button topics oh, in at one time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think that's the part though, is that's why it's so confusing for so many people right now. It's like, the, it's hard to understand how to talk about these things because a lot of the definitions are being shifted and changed that, we don't know how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so someone who would say something like, well, you know, men and women are, are physically different. And when you're competing in sports, that makes a big difference. And that's the whole, one of the main big reasons that collegiately also like they separated and, and brought women's sports in as a separate entity so that they could compete together in a very fair play, a playing field, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but when we start blurring the lines on, on what those things mean and why, why they came to be, it's really difficult as a society to talk about them and share and to, and to interact with each other in that. It's like if a, if a, if a trans, uh, trans woman is, you know, beating people by 30 yards in the, in a, in a swimming meet, it's like, well, well, that's one reason because men's bodies are different and, we created women's swimming so that they could p- compete on that level with other women that are, uh, that are at that level, um, in a way that was fair and equitable, you know, for, for women, you know? Yeah. The point that you're making about the inability to, to communicate with each other because the underlying definitions sort of shared definitions have been blurred and confused. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it, a, it's almost like a tower of Babel like situation. Mm. If we can't communicate with one another, then we can't share with one another. And if we can't share with one another, we can't commune Mm -hmm. and we can't relate. We can't have relationships. Yeah. So if you, if you destroy the language, you destroy the civilization essentially. True. And you start throwing people on like, uh, you know, just, um, Ellie doesn't listen to this podcast, so <laughs> so this, but <clears throat> you know, it's, you know, Ellie throughout like you know J.K. Rollins a transphobe, and I was like, well, Ellie, you know, be careful like how you use that. Like, have you read what she said about this? And so I sent her, you know, J.K. Rowling, what she actually wrote about this whole kind of response to her being a transphobe, 
And it's like, I think a lot of people in some of the younger people have not under, don't understand like what, what women have really fought for over the last 40 to 50 years. And a lot of these women that are being called transphobic are really just, again, this is a broad stroke and, you know, but are that, that have lived through and understand what women have actually had to, had to kind of struggle through in order to, you know, be in the workplace and compete in sports and, and, and how they've, they've had to kind of work through a lot of these things over the last, you know, 40, 50 years specifically. Hmm. And we've kind of, I think a lot of these new generations, because we've blurred these lines, don't understand how much work has happened since like civil rights and women's rights movements and stuff like that. Well, and even it's like, I sort of shudder to realize this, but I, Mm -hmm. I think we're a step past the blurring of the language actually. Yeah. Because it isn't as if, you reach an obvious misunderstanding with someone and then you, and then you sort of say the both of you, Oh, maybe we're using these words differently. How are you using these words? Mm. Here's how I'm using these words. Yeah. Can we get on, can we get on, uh, you know, some shared space here? Totally. Yeah. It's, we, you don't even get to that. Mm-mm. The confused words are known to be confused and they are used for that purpose. It's, you know, it's Elias saying, well, she's a transphobe. I mean, does she know that? No, she doesn't need to know that. She's not actually signaling anything about JK Rowling at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know or care about JK Rowling. What she's doing is using the word to sign- signal her, her uh, membership in a certain group of society. Mm-hmm. And I see this happening all the time. I had, I had a, a friend send me some messages the other day about, something that we obviously disagreed on. I didn't provoke this. There was no existing conversation. He was responding to uh, something I posted online. And it was clear to me that he wasn't engaging a conversation. He was mourning the fact that we were on, well, in two different groups that were at odds. And I thought, or in his mind, in his mind, right. And it shocked me and I really struggled with it because I thought, well, I would love to engage with you on this, but you're not actually asking to engage with me. You haven't actually asked me what I thought. Um, you saw what you perceived to be as me signaling that I'm a part of some particular group mm-hmm. of which you're not a part of, which I wasn't doing, but this is how language has been co-opted. It's been confused and obfuscated and re-identified as membership. Hmm. And that's the thing that scares me because I don't know how you undo that. How do you undo the tower of Babel? Well, you even see that with the, the Rogan and the Neil Young thing, you know, it's like Neil Young is known to be anti-establishment was, was yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just, it, it's just, fascinating to see that here's someone who like in my mind was always the rebel, you know, just for anyone listening who doesn't know what we're talking about. Neil Young came out publicly and said that, uh, if Spotify didn't remove Joe Rogan's podcast from their platform, he was going to remove his music catalog Mm -hmm. and the entire internet just sort of laughed at him 
the big sort of running joke on Twitter was, wait, who's Neil Young? <laughs> yeah. Or going to ask my dad who Neil Young is. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? But I've always like, I mean, again, I love like Eddie Vedder and, and Neil Young did a, uh, I think it was sitting on the dock of the bay together or something yeah. like that. And it's just like fantastic. And Neil Young was always well, this guy who was like picking against the system, you know? And ob- yeah. And obviously everyone, if they don't know who Neil Young is, they know Neil Young music. They've heard it. So that's kind of why it's partly a joke, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a rock and roller, right? He was a yeah. dissident mm-hmm. and now he's, well, seemingly drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm on the good side mm-hmm. and I'm going to try to use my clout and influence to do what I see as a good thing, which is the bad side needs to go. Yeah. Completely. What was so funny about it to me is that like, uh, completely ignorant of the fact that Joe Rogan's listenership is like 500 million a month. I think it's billion. I think his was 5 million. I don't know. No, I think, Rog- okay, maybe, Ro- okay. well, maybe, I don't know what it is. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I think Rogan gets like 11 million listens per episode and he probably does five episodes mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. So, we're talking in the three, you know, 250 to 300 million range per month. Yeah. It's and many thousand X times more than it's a lot more. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. yeah, I think, I think Neil Young gets something like a million listens a month. And mm-hmm. so anyways, it's like, you know, I'm sorry, you're not in the same stratosphere and you used to be, and you're not anymore. And, um, you know, but the, the weird thing is there's all of this call even the surgeon general came out today saying that Rogan should, should be censored for misinformation. You know, the, the, there's a part of the zeitgeist, a part of the culture that is calling for Rogan to be centered, censored for misinformation. And yet I've never heard anyone say what has been said on his podcast that is misinformation. Mm. And the couple of things like episodes that I've listened to where something was said that turned out to be wrong, it was addressed later on. And, mm-hmm that's a pretty important thing to do. It's no longer misinformation. It's like, Hey, we said something that was wrong and here's what, you know, has been corrected. Well, even with that, it's like, it's over a three, two to three hour podcast. And many of those things are also taken out of context too. And, but the thing is, is like you have, you have so much information to kind of digest with that, that it's easier to, to see when something is actually, if he, if he missed something or if it was like, it's a, it's a lot more vulnerable space that they're in because, because of the long format conversation, it's not sound bites where you could take something and, and it could be construed many different ways where here you could go back and listen and see like, Oh wow. Okay. Right. But I think it's, the it's, nuance is there. it's worse than that though. Hmm. I mean, it's like it, JK Rowling's a transphobe. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really know if she's a transphobe. I've never gone and looked. And as a matter of fact, I don't need to go look because mm-hmm. I've been told by the good people yeah. that she is. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't dare go against the good people and form my own opinion. That would be far too dangerous because then I'd be on the out group. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I, you know, I can't imagine that Neil Young, for example, or the Surgeon General, for that matter, yeah. has sat down and listened to even a single Joe Rogan episode. It's just been decided that mm-hmm. Rogan, well, maybe it's, people listen to, to Joe Rogan and then they end up disagreeing with me mm-hmm. and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so there's no investigation. There's no need for investigation because the language has been, um, 
converted not as a tool of communication, but as tool of signaled membership. And that seems to be the big problem. Mm -hmm. Well, that again, it's, it's something that the things that, that are supposed to help facilitate how we, how we engage in our communities, you know, and that's, that's something that it's embedded in our culture. It's embedded in our laws. It's embedded on, those who communicate that to us, I think that's where whenever whenever there's a breakdown in, in that sort of infrastructure, I feel like that's kind of where you have this um, kind of where we are right now is that, you know, I tend to believe that a lot of people right now, I mean, you see this in the scene and uh, I think they have like 90% less engagement than they, uh, from like two or three years ago or something like that. I mean, it's like their viewership has gone down over 70%. I mean, I, it was like, yeah, it's like I actually heard clarif- 90%. clarification on that stat. Okay. It was, it's 90% down from, I think it's either summer of 2020 or summer of 2021. Either way, that summer was their highest summer. Mm, so gotcha. it's not like, you know, 90% Gotcha. from what would be normal necessarily, but still, I mean, it's a staggering number. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are not watching mainstream media mm-hmm. much anymore at all. Yeah. Which is like, in some sense, hallelujah. Yeah. Well, it's also sad because like, Hey, these, these people should be those who are helping us sort of work through all this complicated information and distilling it in a way that helps us to navigate yeah, this this complex world that we live in. Yeah, they should be, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And now the people who are are Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really interesting that one of the the biggest podcasts on Apple Podcasts now is Breaking Points with hmm. uh, Crystal and Sagar. Oh, interesting. And um, I don't listen to it. They're all kind that. of center right, aren't they? Or, they're you know. both center right and left. I think Crystal's more is left and Sagar's right. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think that's it might be the other way around. Um, but they're covering things in a way that is honest and genuine, and has a bit of disagreement in it. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest podcast. That's mm. crazy to me. You know, sorry, it's not the Daily from New York Times anymore. Um, and it's, you know, it's like, it's nothing from any mainstream media outlet. Mm-hmm. It was Joe Rogan until he left that platform. Yeah. He's only on Spotify now. Yeah. That's super fascinating. I, but again, that just shows me that there's something happening right now that most people don't know is happening. And that is the law. I think that maybe everyone knows intuitively, maybe, uh, I think maybe definitely more center centrist people anyways, that a lot of our content that is being shared with us is not really representative of what is actually happening. But again, it's like there's a breakdown, but I think that's one lucky thing we have about the information age that we're in right now is that there are other ways to engage in and, and encounter that information you know it's like as far as like podcasts go or alternative news networks or and there's also a negative aspect that there's a lot of crazy ass shit out there too (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know so but again kind of coming back to like 
you know, even us as the United States and what we share, it's like we have to have something that we share together, some commonalities and some things that we believe in collectively. And the blurring of those lines gives us a lot of, I think, conflict and, and strife, you know, not the healthy kind where you have disagreement and you can kind of like work through those because you're working with similar or same definitions of things, you know, I mean, even to be a racist or white supremacist has been so broadly used that we don't know what it means anymore. And there's a lot of those terms that have lost their, their definition. Oh, it's such a common theme in our culture. Mm hmm. You know, we don't know what racism is anymore. We don't know what sex is anymore. We don't know what gender is anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it isn't, none of these things are actual things. They are just simply things that you use in order to win some other point that you want to make. And they're, they become just malleable enough to shoehorn into the argument you'd like to use them for. Mm -hmm. They are, well, <laughs> what's so funny is they become quite literally uh, tools of power, mm. which was exactly the postmodernist complaint about language and it wasn't exactly true you know it was partly true but yeah. it's, i think it's become much more true as a result to the well uh, to the response to the postmodern critique which is what we talked about on um what was our episode critical cheer and the destruction of everything <laughs> totally uh -huh. it's like if you explain the phenomena of reality through power the only solution to any other any problem is power, mm -hmm. and so things only get worse rather than better. Yeah, it's like this. There's this phrase that gets thrown around a lot about podcasts and just conversation in general, argument maybe too that you know it, it should be done in good faith. And I thought that's such a strange thing to say. What does that mean to be done in good faith? Yeah. And perhaps it's something like, well, we don't know why things are the way that they are, but we do know that you and I have the ability to see things and agree on some part of it mm -hmm. and then stand from that position and observe other problems and begin to tackle those. Mm -hmm. It's like, we don't know what we agree and disagree on we found something we agreed on. So we're going to act in faith that we can find further common ground mm -hmm. rather than this alternative of like, there's no good faith in, in a, in a um, Marxist postmodern version of the world. It's all power. And so either you have the power or I have the power. Mm. And so it's going to be a fight. Yeah. Who controls the power? Yeah. There's no good faith there. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. I, I, tell me if this is, uh, I, might, I might be off here, but I'm just going to throw this out here. Um, would you say that it is better to find common ground and then enter into what you disagree about? Or is it, I mean, or is it kind of like, is it kind of arbitrary whether you find where you differ from somebody and then find common ground? Cause somewhere in my head, I, it's like, I want to say like, it's best to find common ground with somebody and then move into where you disagree. Cause you can always come back to the common ground of like, okay, you, uh, you know, let's just say abortion or something like that. It's like, you know, it's like you value, we both value life. You know, it's like, 
we might disagree on uh, aspects of what that means and definitions, but like, you know, the mother's life and the baby's life, you know, it's like, those are important, but we maybe have different emphasis <clears throat> on one side or the other or something. You know, like that. I don't know that you necessarily need to articulate common ground, hmm. but you, you do whether you, you, you do whether you do or you don't. Mm-hmm. Because what is common ground? I mean, you could say, well, you have common ground with every human on the planet. Yeah. Right. You're mm-hmm. a human common ground. Um, but I think we've all experienced, for example, someone sitting around a table, friends, family, whatever it is. Maybe take the example of like Thanksgiving or something. Mm-hmm. And you, you know what it feels like to have someone sitting there and they're not going to participate because they know that they disagree on some political thing. Mm-hmm. And their very body language is telling you the fact that we're family means less than the fact that you disagree with me on uh, universal health care. Let's mm-hmm. say this is all theoretical, yeah. hypothetical. Um, you know, but I, I felt that from people before. I think mm-hmm. we all have. And so that person is saying specifically, we have no common ground. Yeah. Even though that's clearly not true, it's not the case, mm-hmm. but they're signaling that I'm not going to use the common ground. Mm-hmm. So I think that. Well, you don't necessarily have to articulate common ground. I think that you have to, with respect to this, this statement of in good faith, I'm going to show up in good faith mm-hmm. and acknowledge the common ground that we share, whether that's just simple humanity or maybe it's family or friendship or, you know, uh, we work together or, you know, I know you and I really like Radiohead or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You embody that. And abstractly that is felt as good faith. Like I can trust that we can, we can actually honestly engage some stuff and maybe that's pretty precarious. Like it falls apart really easily, mm-hmm. but, but we can always kind of retreat to the small patch that we have, the rickety structure that we have and say, well, could we, could we shore up this joint a little bit? Could we expand our foundation this way a little bit? And so long as the other person is willing to, try that, explore that. That's a conversation worth having. Well, I think you, I think you almost answer that in the affirmative. Then it's sort of like, even though somebody else might not want to start in good faith, it's like, it's, it's probably best to find some sort of common ground you have with somebody. Cause I think that, I think things will go a lot f- further. If you, if you, if you find that sort of space that you share, you know, whether it be, um, like memories of your childhood, you know, if you're again around a Thanksgiving table, it's like, you know, then maybe you can get into, cause I've had this experience where, you know, it's like, everything's really great. You're having great conversation and, you know, you start getting into some of those like little bit slippery topics or whatever it might be. And you're like, and you, the tension's there. And all of a sudden you can kind of see like, okay, this is not, this is about to get kind of a little bit unproductive, you know? So it's like, you can kind of like then go back into that space where you do share common ground and maybe come back out into those more tension areas, but something that we have to remember. And even us as, you know, it's like whether you're talking about other countries or people on the other side of the aisle or whatever, you know, it's like whether you're Republican or Democrat or whatever you are, it's like, it's like you can then kind of go back into those spaces of difference Mm-hmm. but that we have to have some sort of, you know, that's why we have the bill of rights. That's why we have the constitution. It's like, there's certain things that kind of like 
you know, these rights we, we hold self-evident, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we can kind of like, what's the baseline from which we then can move into the rest, you know? Hmm. Um, but once we start losing that, that common ground, <clears throat> it seems like everything after that is unproductive because there's nothing to, to ground us to come back to, you know, it's like, you know, Hey, you know, okay, cool. We disagree, but you know, you're my brother or you're my sister or my mom or my dad, you know, it's like, and that right there trumps the rest of it, you know? Mm. So it's like, if you don't have that, and I think that's why it's so important, even on a universal level, as far as like, if, it's, if nothing else you can come back to is like, we're, we're all human <laughs> or something. I mean, it's like, it's like, what is your baseline that you can, that you can draw a commonality to the person that you're discussing? Cause once you dehumanize somebody, then you don't even have humanity right. in common. Anymore. Yeah. Cause you can actually get rid of humanity as common ground. Yeah. It's right. like you're less than human because you have certain beliefs or because of your skin color, you are this way. Like whether, you know, you're a white supremacist or, or, or whatever it might, you, you throw these things out there that, dehumanize somebody into some sort of group that they may or may not belong to that is that you try to like distance yourself because they're so deplorable that all your language and all the things that you're that you do is more divisive than it is like bring like having some sort of commonality that you can then like you know, there, there at one point was like, there's a, there was a pride to be, you know, from the U S you know, it's like, Hey, Oh, we're both from the U S so especially when you travel, you know, it's like, Oh, Hey, you're from the U S or especially Texas. It's like, Oh, you're from Texas. Mm-hmm. Cool. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like all of a sudden you have like, it doesn't matter who this person is. It's like, it's, it's like you share that you're both Texans, you know, or something like that. Right. And it's like, you'll find whatever common ground you need to, because you have that, that thing in, in common, you know? Cause like I remember traveling in Europe and it's like, we'd run into somebody like we this one guy from North Carolina. He was in uh, Germany doing uh, cancer treatments, you know? And it was sort of like, we had the most amazing night. <laughs> we sat and drank wine on the coast of, uh, Chiquitera in Italy. And he was telling us about <laughs> Sounds very romantic. treatments and like, but we just had the greatest time. And then we ran this other lady in Florence and my brother and I just sat down with her and she was telling me, told us all about New York and we had bread and wine. It was just like, but the, the commonality was, was we were all from the States and they were sharing our experience about where we were at that space. We had something that we could kind of meet together on. Right. And it's like, you know, whether she was a Republican or a Democrat or whatever, it's like that wasn't really the thing, you know, it's like, yeah, um, it's irrelevant there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, something right Mm -hmm. like when you are in an unknown place finding someone who has a very broad commonality with you is Mm -hmm. super specific yeah oh you're from texas i'm from texas Mm -hmm. we could talk all night about that yeah right Mm -hmm. but when you're in texas yeah well everyone (laughs) is from texas Texas, so (laughs) there's really nothing to talk about there Mm -hmm. and what you're most likely going to talk about is more how you differ Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, even then it's like you find like, Oh, I've been in Austin for 20 shit, six years now. You know, it's like, Oh, you've been here for 10 years. Oh, wow. Well, what have you seen that's different? For, you know, it's like at some point you try to find that sort of like commonality and then you, like maybe 
then the differentiations come into play too. You know, it's like so that you have more uh, definition around it or distinction. You know, it's like something that that's unique about each person's experience right, right. within that. Yeah, because what's comparable? Mm-hmm. It's like the Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. Mm-hmm. You can tell what's comparable by telling what's different. Mm-hmm. It's almost more of a process of elimination than it is of um, pattern recognition. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like... Well, I mean, maybe we should talk about intimacy, too. I mean, there's something about why it's you know as far as like having community and intimacy with people and what you share of your life with somebody like the you you start to get into those more like as you get to know somebody it's like those distinctions become more and more apparent But you also start to meld. I think you start to meld certain aspects or be more flexible in certain places that that you might not have been as flexible before in creating intimacy. Hmm. So where there might be specific things that we disagree with on certain maybe political issues or social issues or whatever it might be, there's a certain amount of melding where you're like, no, I, I get it. I see, I see where you're coming from. I don't agree with you, but I see where you're coming from. Like you, you're able to then even to come back to the idea of good faith. It's sort of like, it's like, I don't agree with you, but I see where you're coming from. And so, <clears throat> yeah. And you can see how much easier that would be to do if you were to run into another person from the States while you were both in India. Mm-hmm. Oh, you voted for Trump. I voted for Biden. Mm-hmm. But from that distance, that seems to matter less than the fact that you're both from the U.S. And you yeah. probably bond over the fact that you're both from the U.S. And like, don't we want the best for the U.S.? I'm, we're all worried about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, you know, you meet somebody at a bar. It's like, oh, you voted for Trump. I voted for Biden. We're done. We're not talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no because like then you can because there's so many other people that fit in your category that are closer to you. Yeah, you, you don't can, need that person. You don't need that person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in another country, it's sort of like there's fewer people that, but you, you can, have things in common with. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially, I mean, the language for so, one, <laughs> there was something about int- intimacy when you said that, that really struck me. Hmm. That's so. Well, maybe it's that back to the, um, the conversation about intimacy in, or, or creating potential intimacy and responding to people online. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we shy away from that or the reason that, that might be creepy is because there isn't a precedent for it. Whereas the precedent generally for um, intimacy, let's say when you're traveling, mm-hmm. is that, well, you're traveling. Yeah. And you are... <laughs> Sorry. So, um, so, so it's like you, you gotta, um, cause you could imagine that you, you become very intimate with a, with a fellow traveler 
<clears throat> based on very broad and loose commonalities. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense because back to your point, it's like, well, who else is around? Mm -hmm. And the problem with the online space, I, well, I don't know that it's a problem, but the, the difference is that in the online space, there's no sense of, well, you're the only one around. Mm. So there's no, there's no signal for like, it's okay to be intimate. Yeah. Cause you're not, you're one of what? 5 billion. Yeah. Totally. Who are online. So why are you being intimate with me? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. You don't have as much incentive to find commonality or intimacy with somebody that is a sort of a blip that you just throw whatever you have at this person and you can just go away, you know, right. where it's like whenever you're more in a space where you're looking for connection which again, in traveling, you're looking for connection, you know, and, and are more open to connection. You know, it's like, again, it's like, there's probably presumably people, it's why you're traveling in the first place. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's so funny because you, you will meet maybe couples or people on the road, uh, even in the United States, but, uh, you know, especially abroad, I think it's an easier, um, analogy or example is that, you know, you probably will connect with people you would never connect with if you were living in the same city or neighborhood. Like I could totally see myself, like my neighbor, one of my neighbors, you know, connecting with them in like Prague or something like that and just having a great time. But we would never do that here. <laughs> living in, on the same Austin, street. Yeah, living on the same street. Gosh, being human is a curious predicament. <laughs> it really is. But again, it's like, but I think there's that openness and willingness when you're out of your comfort zone and your, your options are limited, you're more open to other perspectives than whenever you're in a space where your options are limitless and your choice. Yeah. Your options and choice are, are almost unlimited. Then you, you, you will not be as open to new and different perspectives. <laughs> That's a deep one. Yeah. Ooh, good. How's deep? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't be. You can't be open as open because mm -hmm. you're confronted with everything. So you have to protect yourself from everything because you can't handle everything. Yeah. Whereas when your options are limited, you can be open to everything available mm -hmm. because you can handle it. Yeah. So the more limited your options, the more you can handle it. Mm -hmm. So the more open you can be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also that spirit of adventure too. It's like when you're out and about, it's like you will, you know, even I know when I've met people in other countries that I probably maybe don't agree with them, you know, politically or whatever it might be, but you're curious. It's like, okay, well, how does that work here in Germany or in Prague? Mm -hmm. Well, here's my experience in the U S how does that work here? And so you're, you're open to like explore those ideas with them because they are living in a different political yeah. and social and your, cultural your curiosity is primary. Mm -hmm. Your curiosity. That's really good. Yeah. So maybe if we could adopt that point of view in places that are more known and safe mm -hmm. and say, I'm going to, 
orient myself toward the world and toward my interactions from a position of curiosity rather than judgment presupposition or something. Yeah. I think I was going to say dogma. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, whether or not you use that to judge, which you do. Mm -hmm. This is another, maybe another podcast that we could get into (laughs) the idea of judgment. I find that all very curious, but if you could, you know, rather than I know who I am and I generally can read signals about who other people are and make the decisions that I need to make in order to live how I want to live, which is useful. Yeah. It's useful. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to do that. Mm -hmm. But if you could say, but I'd like to be curious as if I'm a foreigner Mm-hmm. I'd like to be curious as if I'm traveling because that's exciting Yeah, and you learn something mm-hmm. like you always learn something from the things that you don't know. And especially when you think you know something mm. and then you find out that you didn't actually know it quite as well as you thought you did. Yeah. And you, I mean, that's why traveling is so important and why people love to do it mm-hmm. because I think it puts you in a position where you learn things you didn't know about what you know, in addition to things that you just plain didn't know. But I think you can, I think you could bootstrap that position for yourself in your everyday mm-hmm. life by saying, I'd like to be curious today. Mm-hmm. You know, even back to your point about like, why do we ask each other about our weekends? Yeah. You know, it becomes, it becomes stale and routine in this sort of like, uh, script that we run because yeah. you show up on Monday and you're just like, what do you say? You know, how, how was your weekend? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but if you were to instead say, Hey, today I'm curious, how was your weekend? Mm-hmm. You know, and you could say it just that much differently. And when they say it was a weekend, you could be like, I know it wasn't just a weekend. <laughs> totally. I'm curious, uh-huh. you know, and what would a curious person ask? Like what stood out to you? I don't mm-hmm. know. That would be a cool way to go through life. Well, totally. And and it's also kind of makes sense why you would say somebody you see Monday through Friday, just in the work environment, how you'd say like, how was your weekend? I usually know what is happening with you throughout the week. But all of a sudden there's this unknown that but you've been in a black hole yeah. for me. You could have been, <laughs> your body could be, have been laying in a, in a hammock and you're like an avatar person <laughs> up on a mountain waking up actually uh-huh. Paralyzed. I don't know. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> this part of the podcast brought to you by James Cameron. Avatar 2, 3, and 4 coming to a theater near you. Wow. All three of them. <laughs> I think so, actually. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. Yeah, he's a, my mind, a maniac. <laughs> um, no, I like that a lot. Be curious, my friends. Yeah. I agree. Like, I don't know if we, we really, I mean, we, we kind of started with that, the broad topic of sharing and is, it's interesting. Like, I think we kind of went all over the place with like what we share and who we share with and why we share with them and just also our expectations and, and what we're kind of open to open to others about too, as far as like whether we're in our own echo chambers or we have these prejudgments or that we're judging somebody based on a very small, narrow view of who that person is. And so it's like, it, it sort of shuts down that part of intimacy and sharing that, 
that could be available to us. And some of that is just out of necessity and that we can't really have intimacy and we can't really share our lives with everybody that we know. You know, it's like, but I don't know, I guess something in this is like, it kind of makes me think of like, like opening that door just a little bit to each different level of that sort of intimacy mm-hmm. level. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. Is there any, is there any takeaways you kind of had? You know? Yeah. As you were saying that I thought, well, there's another curiosity here, which is that generally if somebody shares something with you, um, which isn't like, Hey, I had a normal weekend. You know, they say, you know, it was actually kind of hard. You know, I really struggled with, uh, my kids this weekend or, you know, it was really great. My daughter's birthday was on Saturday, Mm. you know, a, a, a response that you wouldn't be surprised to come out of your own mouth might be, thank you for sharing. Mm. Like it's, it's a very human thing, not only to share, but to express gratitude for it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I think that it is that way because it is meaningful. Mm-hmm. It's meaningful to share and it's meaningful to have something shared with you. And we live in a world in which that is so ubiquitous as to be terrifyingly easy to not even notice. Hmm. And so I guess that's what I, I take away from it is it's meaningful and don't forget to notice that hmm. and to notice it like you would notice it if you were traveling and be curious about that Yeah, because, well, not only is it good for others, it's good for you. It's a meaningful thing. I mean, interacting with each other, relating with one another, sharing with one another is perhaps what makes us human and perhaps what gives our life meaning. Mm-hmm. So the more intentionally we can do that, the ritual will become. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys. There it is. There it is. All right. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, Thanks for coming to the shores. Definitely. (laughs) We'll see you guys. See you next time. Next time.